it. But I would like to pick up our reading for our text this morning in verse 7 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. And Paul is signing off here. And here's what he says. He says, for verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul the apostle was a martyr for Jesus. He lost his head, if my memory serves me correct here. And he knew that it was close uh, to happening. And he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And I hope that that can be said of you at the time of your departure. And I tell some of my church members, look, don't live your life in such a way where you think that I'm going to lie about you at your funeral. Because chances are I probably won't. And so don't live your life thinking that I'm going to lie and make a good person out of you at your funeral if you've been living for the devil down here. And I will use that as an opportunity to warn others to get saved, to live right. So I always tell my folks that from time to time. Uh, you know, people think, well, we preach everybody into heaven. I don't. I don't. Uh, now, I might not pound it into the ground, but I don't. I won't. And some of my church members have requested, like Charlotte, remember her? She says, I want you to preach on hell, preacher. At my funeral, I got lost family members. She says, but I don't want you to preach it like a Baptist. I'm like, okay. She said, I want you to preach it like an old-time Methodist. She was old-time Methodist, and I, I knew exactly what she meant. And so I did. <laughs> but here he says, he's kept the faith. Now let's read on. He says, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Boy, that's a bad report. Demas, there was something in the present world that was more important than God and the ministry. And I've preached on Demas before. We don't want to be a Demas. Demas left, uh, missed out on a lot of blessings in this life. I think I've even preached to him that he might have been lost. And that's just how I felt that day. He was more than likely saved. He just backslid. And I, uh, sometimes I, I, I get over into that field a little bit. But Christians do backslide. Christians do sin. It's just not good. They live there. But uh, Demas, he forsook the Apostle Paul. And he says, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. That's Luke the physician. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Antichius have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee. And the books but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. 
Now here's where I get the ideal for the message. At my first answer, no man stood with me. Boy, that's lonely. But all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, and by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesphorus. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greeteth thee, and Pudens, uh, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come. We thank you. Lord, help us today as we look into the Word of God. Speak to us, speak to our hearts. Let the Holy Spirit work among us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. You know, the Bible commands us to stand, to take a stand. We're living in a day where people don't want to stand for God. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore, it's a command. Having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. So we're commanded to stand, and that will include times that you will end up having to stand alone. And Paul is saying here to Pastor Timothy that no one stood with him, and he had to stand alone. I begin to think about this. There's been times in the Bible when other men have to stand alone. The first one that come to my mind was Jesus. The Bible said that all men forsook him when he was marching towards that cross. And by the way, Jesus had a decreasing ministry. I understand the American way is uh, that your ministry is supposed to increase, you know. You're supposed to uh, uh, grow and be bursting at the seams. And there are growing seasons. But you remember this. Jesus had a decreasing ministry. And it seemed like the more he preached, uh, the more the people left. Uh, and he finally turned around to the twelve, and one of them was a devil. And he says, will ye also go away? And so his last days were spent alone. But then I'm reminded of Noah. Remember Noah? Noah stood alone in that evil day before the flood as he built that ark. And the only fruits he had of that ministry was his family. Which I believe that the Bible teaches us that if all you ever get accomplished in this life is that your family is led to the Lord God would consider you successful. Now, I, I don't mean don't tell others, but don't tell others and neglect your family. A lot of preachers do that, and, and that causes problems. And so they're going out to the all ends of the earth and neglect their family, and their family goes to hell. I'm not an advocate of that. You know I'm not. I strongly believe in families. It's uh, God first, family second, then ministry. 
And if God sees it, you work ministry with your family. So it is in the Bible, but sometimes you'll do that alone. I remember uh, Daniel in the lion's den, remember? He went to the lion's den, he stood alone. But then I'm remembering, I'm going to throw one that you might not know or remember until I get to reading about it, Shama. Remember Shama? Shama. Now, I, his name popped into me, but it didn't, his name didn't pop into me. I remembered the field of lentils that he stood in the middle of food. It's just how I remember things. It's a good thing there wasn't Chinese buffets in these days in the Bible because that's how I'd identify things. But uh, Shama, and I remember, so when I went to look it up, I plugged in lentils and it popped right up for me. Uh, and then I remembered his name, Shama. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Shama, the son of Agai, he's one of uh, David's mighty men. He says, uh, there was the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils. It was the lentils I was thinking of. And the people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines and the Lord wrought a great victory. He stood alone. He stood alone and says, you know, if this cost me my life, so be it. And God blessed him for that. In this Christian life, there will be times, not if, but when, you will be faced with the choice to go along with the crowd or to take a stand alone. The Apostle Paul, a hero of the faith, stood alone and God blessed him for it. Now it looks like that Paul is standing before Nero for the second time in my research, the best that I could tell. That would have been pagan Rome. And he was brought up on charges for preaching the gospel. I want to say probably, and, and this, is, this is my opinion as I look at the scriptures, you might know something better, but by Alexander, because he names Alexander the coppersmith. And he had named Alexander the coppersmith in 1 Timothy, along with the name of Hymenaeus. And he said they had done much harm by teaching that the resurrection was past already. They were amillennialist and postmillennialist, and they said, the rapture, we're in the kingdom. There's no sense in preaching the faith. We're in the kingdom of God. And they did much harm. They, they uh, resisted the truth. And Paul is a name caller, by the way. You know those people you get when you start calling out false preachers and teachers, and they say, oh, you shouldn't do that. Why not? The Bible does. The Apostle Paul did. Why not? Why not? Paul did that, but it looks like Alexander the coppersmith brought him up and was speaking against him. He said he did him much harm by resisting his words. He was a skeptic. He was a non-believer. And so he encourages Timothy with these words on what God does for his children in these times. Timothy was a timid man. And he, there in the first chapter here in 2 Timothy, uh, he mentions and makes mentions of Timothy's tears. Now just because a man cries does not make him weak. The Lord cried, he wept. 
The Apostle Paul wept many times while he preached, warning the people about wolves that would come into the church. Timothy, more timid than the Apostle Paul, so other things bothered him, and he says, you need to stir up the gift of God that is in you. But Paul was warning him and saying, there's going to come a time I'm standing alone here Demas was supposed to have been with him. He wasn't. He forsook him. The other people he had sent off into ministry as he was going to face the chopping block here alone. No man stood up for the Apostle Paul at that trial. He said no man spoke for him. No man come to support him. Boy, that's lonely. That's lonely. But he was a child of God. He was a soldier of God. Apostle Paul was responsible for writing no less than 13 books of the New Testament. He had a tremendous testimony. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He persecuted the church of God. Some of you think you've had uh, problems. Paul was a murderer before he got saved. He was a persecutor of churches and people. He was so bad that he would drag them out. He'd infiltrate a church pretending to be a Christian and find out who was who and then come in with the soldiers and drag them out and feed them. He said he fed some of those people. He gave his voice. He voted that they be fed to the lions. He was a pretty rough character before he got saved. All zealous about the Old Testament law. Pharisees was the straightest sect uh, uh, in this Jewish order. But he got saved. One of the things I always like to point out when Paul gets saved is he makes it a point there in Galatians chapter 1 that he never persecuted the church of God ever again. And hence, I have a saying, Christians do not persecute Christians. You say, well, I've been hurt in a church. Did you ever stop to think that it might not have been a child of God that hurt you in a church? See, when you come to and you, and you uh, presume that everybody sitting in a church building is saved, that's where you are wrong. And I've had that conversation with many people that have been hurt. I didn't say you didn't get hurt in church. I'm sure that was the place. But it might not have been God's children that hurt you because this Bible says Christians don't persecute Christians. Now, I didn't say they might not squabble amongst each other. Remember, Paul and Barnabas got into a, a squabble and it was pretty sharp and they had to part ways. But they didn't persecute one another. That's free. It wasn't in the, in the notes. But I like to point that out. So if that's what's keeping you out of the house of God, because one time a long time ago that you can't hardly remember why you got hurt, but you know you got hurt in church, don't blame it on Christians. It's more than likely probably was a devil sitting there in sheep's clothing. But there's going to be times when you stand alone. And that's what I want to get to. And I, it really, this part of the Scripture stood out to me, and it was a comfort to me. And I have uh, uh, I've experienced some of this. We're not going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about the Apostle Paul. We're going to talk about Scripture, and we're going to brag on God a little bit this morning uh, here on what I find. Number one, when you find yourself standing alone, you're going to stand for rights. You're going to stand on the Word of God. 
You might have to do that alone. Matter of fact, sometimes when people get saved, uh, uh, their family deserts them and writes them off, and you might have to stand alone. That's lonely. You might be in a position of leadership in ministry and one day have to stand alone and it's going to be lonely and they might get you into that what we call the lion's den. We had one of them around here was up there where our Wednesday night room is now. And this church had a reputation for taking people into the lion's den and devouring them and eating them and hurting them and running them off. And I turned it into church room. Ain't no lion's den. We don't do that stuff around here. We're not doing that. But sometimes you'll have to stand alone. And I want to give you some words of encouragement. And he says there in verse 16, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it be not laid to their charge. He didn't say that tongue-in-cheekly. And he was farther down the spiritual path than we are. Because <laughs> I'd have been saying, Lord, mark that down in your book. I want to deal with this when we get up there. <laughs> uh, and the Lord says, you don't know what spirit you're of. <laughs> but let's read that next verse. Notwithstanding... The Lord stood with me. I, I want to get that. Now, you know me as I preach and teach. I always try to encourage you. When you take a stand, you make sure you stand with God. Stand for truth. But that's not what he says here. He said God chooses to stand with him. And my first point is God will stand with you. Now, the Apostle Paul being called by God, he's an apostle called by God, he's doing ministry. So don't walk out here thinking that you could live for the devil and take a stand for the devil and the Lord's going to stand with you. That's what I'm, not what I'm saying this morning. What I'm kind of trying to hint to is there is a quote by Abraham Lincoln when the war between the states and so you had saved people on both sides of that thing. Both sides praying to God to give them victory. So somebody asked Abraham Lincoln about that. He says, so what makes you think that God's going to answer your prayer and not the other sides? Abraham Lincoln said, well, sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side, but my greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. And that's how I always preach it. Make sure you're on God's side. But it, it's not like that in here. And I'm not saying that God, uh, <laughs> you can do what you want and God's got to stand with you. We're in ministry. We're in the context of doing right. But he says, God, the Lord, stood with him. And it looks to me like God joins him. Nobody was going to stand up for the Apostle Paul, but God was standing there, kind of like when they was going to stone Stephen, and the Apostle Paul was there holding the coats of the people that were stoning Stephen. And nobody was there to stand up for Stephen, but then all of a sudden the Scripture says, the Lord stood up. Stephen said, I see the Lord high and lifted up. He said, I see him over there. He stood up. 
And we wonder, well, why did the Lord do that? We got things, uh, some things that we think sometimes people say, well, maybe there was the rapture getting ready to happen. The Lord stood up and he's getting ready to have uh, Michael or Gabriel blow that trumpet. I think the Lord was standing up to take note to stand with Stephen that day while he was by himself. This Bible says the Lord will stand with you in those times. There's going to be times when you stand alone. And he said that all men have forsaken him. But God stood with him. Let me give you some promises. And now, I do know this by experience. That when you're in one of these situations, you might not necessarily feel the presence of God. You might say, be saying to yourself while you're being roasted, God, where you at? Where you at? Where you at? That's why you can't go on your feelings. Let me tell you and show you what God has promised. And that's what you got to go on. When you're standing alone, And you can't feel the presence of God because the presence of the devil is stronger there. And that's all you can focus on. This is what your Bible says. That the Lord's going to stand with you. Hebrews chapter 13 verses 5 verse 6 says promises that God will never leave us nor forsake us. I don't care whether you can feel him or not. He's promised that he's going to be there and he won't forsake you. God will stand with you. But then he says in Proverbs that Jesus is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Speaking about the Lord. But let me give you this next verse because it'll make it make a little more sense. Proverbs 17, 17 says brothers were born for adversity. He say, yeah, I know. I got brothers and my brothers, we used to pull that verse out of context as we antagonized each other says you know what that bible says brothers were born for adversity that's not what it means he said really yeah here's what it means if you had brothers or sisters growing up and i've had a brother jeremiah i'll tell it i've told it before i'm not losing my mind i know i've told this illustration before but i'll tell it again Because it's the only one I got in a moment. You could fight and argue, and and you know how 16-year-olds are. I had my own car. I had a cool car. I had a 73 Gremlin, and it was green. And it it had fancy wheels on it, wider wheels. And I ran recaps, because that's what Brother Vic Wilson ran on it. Because it used to be his car, and I, he sold it to Joel Greer, and I bought it from Joel Greer and, uh, for 150 bucks, one of the best cars I ever owned. But you know how 16-year-olds are. They don't want their brothers and sisters to touch nothing in their car. And I'd always, and you also know 16-year-olds, what I did, the first thing I did was take the radio that was in it out, went to Kmart, which was the big store back then, and bought me the most expensive radio I could, and then attempted to install it. And yeah, I got it hooked up, but I didn't buy a radio installation kit, so the knobs were sticking out that far, and, but boy, it sounded good. And so I was going to play my music, and I didn't want none of them to touch anything in my car. 
We'd fight and squabble, and I'd, I'm going to smack you once we get to school. But, buddy, if somebody jumped on one of my brothers and sisters, the fight was on. You see, now, I don't recommend you do what I did. I'm going back. It's been quite a few years since I was in school. And this was a Christian school, so it ain't like schools today. But this is, this. I know why I got that. I told you what my name was just a bully buster. Well, this is how we dealt with bullies in my days. There was a boy that was bullying my brother Jeremiah. He was about the same age as my brother Jeremiah, but that boy was as tall as I was and weighed almost as much. And I mean, he'd thump Jeremiah every day. Jeremiah couldn't stay away from him. Jeremiah was eight. I was 16. So Jeremiah come to me. That's my brother. Now, I didn't like him on the way to school because I had to drive them in my car. And I thought that didn't make me look cool. I wanted to run with my arm out, my arm out, touching the steering wheel, and my other hand on that three-speed down on the floor, looking good, you know. Oh, trust me, I wasn't cool. But I sure, you couldn't have convinced me I wasn't. With my hand-me-down jacket, clothes I had on had been given to me out of a missionary bag, but boy, I was cool. Jeremiah come to me and said, hey, man, I'm tired of getting busted. We've taken it to the test and we need to tell the teacher. Teacher, he didn't do nothing. Okay. So I told Jer, I said, hey, this is how we're going to do this. We're going to watch this dude. And when he goes into that boy's bathroom, you run in right behind him. I watch the door. Nobody else coming in. And I says, as soon as you go through, you nail him shove him up through the through the bathroom stalls there i said that's going to be about all you'll have to do he'll know you're serious then because it was always him and his buddies and so we waited on him and when he run in there i said get him and i said if anybody says anything i'll take the blame he went in there and i heard some thrashing going around I stood by the door, wouldn't let nobody else in there, none of his buddies. I said, hey, y'all were going to set this one out. Next thing I know, the door opens, Jeremiah comes walking out. And I think we got the problem solved. And that boy ended up being a real good friend after that. I hate bullies. I don't like them. Now, let me tell you another story while we're on this and standing about brothers being born for adversity there was one time i was in trouble my brother jeremiah was eight years old christian school and we were playing ping pong and one of the public school kids public school dropouts we take them in he's a thug he was a bully name was dylan last time i seen him he was as nice as could be well, he threatened to whip me over a ping pong game. And I said, look, this ain't happening. You're not rolling the roost around here. And he started backing up towards, we was in the cafeteria towards the table in the cafeteria. And my brother Jeremiah stood up and got on the top of the cafeteria table. 
And he got close enough, Jeremiah jumped up on one side of him, up his back, and I kid you not, he crawled down head first on the front of him, clawing, scratching, kicking, biting. It was so bad that that man was begging to get him off of him. Jeremiah tore him up. Jeremiah, eight years old, that dude was 16. And so you know what I did? Of course, I pulled Jeremiah off. I, I said, look, if my little eight-year-old brother can whip you, what do you think I can do? <laughs> See, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that verse doesn't mean what you thought it meant. It means brothers are born for adversity. And Jesus says, he's the friend that sticketh closer than the brother. And when you go to stand alone, the Lord's going to stand up with you. He's born and made. He's a man of war. He's going to stand there with you. They better not back up too close to him. The Lord will get on them. That's what I'm talking about. He's that friend that sticketh closer than a brother. But you'll find also when you stand alone that you'll get those butterflies in your stomach and you'll get that weak feeling. That's called adrenaline. And sometimes you get a too big of a shot of adrenaline, you'll feel weak. He says, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Not only will the Lord stand with you, and he's born. God, well, let me use the right word. God wasn't born. God's always been, but he's a man of war. And if a brother was born to back you up in times of adversity, he said, the Lord said, I'm the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. But the Lord will strengthen us. Through those times of weakness, when you want to run, when you're weak and you think maybe running is better, maybe I shouldn't have took a stand on this, and these times you'll feel weak, this kind of stress takes its toll on you. And God will strengthen you. Paul used this opportunity. Now oh, this is a little something. Because I wouldn't have took the opportunity. And that's why we're talking about the Apostle Paul this morning. He used that opportunity. He knew he was going to die. But he, God strengthened him for the purpose to preach the gospel. You see there, he said, he said uh, uh, God strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. He used that opportunity in that trial room to present the gospel. I remember years ago, Ken Ham. I'm not a big Ken Ham fan. He's saved man. And I think he's done a pretty decent work. But I do remember watching the live be debate between him and Bill Nye, the science guy. Remember that? Clown? And about 10, 20 minutes or so into that, uh, Ken Ham was chewing him up one side and spitting him out the other. Once he realized that Bill Nye was just going to keep rejecting facts, when Ken Ham got an opportunity to speak or to rebut, he immediately just presented the gospel. When I first heard it, I was like, what is this guy doing? He could tear him up. He could seize this moment. And, and he could just... He can make a fool out of him. You say, what is that? He used that opportunity while he was standing there alone. God had strengthened him. 
he knew he wasn't going to ever convince Bill Nye. But there was a lot of people watching that debate that were lost. And he began to share the gospel and share the gospel. You say, what, that, what was that? God giving that gospel sharing grace. And I walked away with a little more respect for that man. Said, you know what? He used that opportunity to present the gospel. God will strengthen you in those times to present the gospel. But it moves on a little farther. He says... I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. God will save you in those times. God will save you during those times. Out of the mouth of the lion is a reference to Satan. He could be referencing Alexander the coppersmith. Uh, I have experienced that when people come against you. It's almost like a lion. It's like a lion. They'll run up on you and get in your face and it's like a mock charge. Now get about that close to your face and then back off and you're like, where is this going? And then he'll run up on you. And it's the best way to describe it is like a lion. And maybe he's referring to Alexander the coppersmith who was standing against him, if that's be the case, and he was like a lion. But I do know this for a fact. It is a reference to the devil. And the devil, the Bible says, is like a roaring lion. And by the way, devils manifest themselves through people. So he could be referencing to that, but he's saying the Lord saved him and delivered him out of the mouth of the lion from the evil works which are traps. People will try to entrap you. The devil will try to entrap you. In Paul's case here, God took him home by way of martyrdom. Now, God saving you and you being saved from the situation might be two different things. you got to be looking at this through God's eyes. Sometime God will save you out of the fiery furnace like he did to three Hebrew children. They cast them in there. They didn't burn up. They come out of there. They didn't even smell smoke on them. I've heard preachers preach on that, that it was wrong to smoke because people shouldn't smell smoke on you because you couldn't smell smoke on the three Hebrew children. Makes for some funny preaching. It's not good doctrine, but okay, I can see it. But my point is this morning, that, that was just threw in there. The point is, God saved those, but God saved Paul by martyrdom. He allowed them to cut his head off but he took him home. Now before you think I'm off my rocker, remember there's a verse over there. Paul said that me to dwell with you is needful, but to depart is far better. Hence you hear some of the old saints of God don't threaten me with eternity because it only gets better from here for the child of God. God will save you. Sometimes he will save you from the fiery furnace. Other times he'll let you burn up in there and take you home. But God will sustain you. Look at verse 18. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me. There it is. Will preserve me. God will sustain you. That's the gift of salvation. It's eternal life. It doesn't matter whether they take your physical life. 
They can't take your spiritual life. Living forever with God in his kingdom. Here's the verse. Philippians 1.23, for I'm in a strait betwixt two. <laughs> Paul said, I've got a dilemma, boys. <laughs> I'm having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. <laughs> he says, but God seemed fit to leave me here. That was when he was in Philippians. But here, God seemed fit. I'm going to take you home because your work on earth is done. So God took him on. In closing today, let me read you a chapter from Psalms. It's short. It really goes along with the message. And it just really, I think, puts the icing on the cake. It's in Psalms 46, verse 1, through the end of the chapter. It's short. He says, To the chief musicians for the sons of Korah, a song upon Almoth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear Though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. That word Selah means he takes a break. <laughs> Siesta. It's like an amen. It's like a pause. And you kind of meditate on what he has just said. Then he says, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Yeah, you got to take a break after that. God's our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. It brought a tear to my eyes thinking about that phrase, but the Lord stood with me. Man, it's kind of nice to know that that brother, that friend that sticketh closer than a brother, our God, our Savior, our refuge. Everybody else might forsake you, but the Lord will stand with you. Kind of like brothers, like what I told you about my brother. It was a good feeling that day. You know, my little brother had my back. And if we was going to deal with adversity, we're going to do it together. One day I had his back. But the Lord said, I'm even better than that. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful God. I don't care whether you can feel it or not. Feelings are good. But I assure you, sometimes while you're standing alone, you might not feel God. But I assure you, because God is not a man that he should lie. And he's never lied. He cannot lie. And he has promised us that he will stand with us. Now, I believe we might have more and more chances 
if God tarries much longer, that we will end up having to stand alone and might see a little persecution. And so, like Paul did to Timothy, he was reminding Timothy, Alexander could stand against you, but don't be afraid to stand alone. Don't be afraid when all men forsake you. Because God will stand with you. Let us stand this morning. Comforting passage of Scripture. Song of invitation, please. That the Lord will stand with us because sometimes you'll stand alone.